Mark Twain once famously wrote, A man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. That is to say that there are some things that you can only learn and understand through experience. No matter how many books you read, no matter how many songs you listen to, or how many poems you recite, you cannot fully understand something like heartbreak until you've been through it. There are some things that, that you might be able to understand and grasp with a cold distance with your mind, but until you've been through it, you don't have that knowledge, that wisdom, that understanding of what it really is. Some things you just have to live through to truly grasp and understand. The Holy Trinity, I think, is one of those things that, that we cannot grasp with a cold distance, at least not well. You see, every explanation I have ever heard of the Trinity ends up failing at some point. It, it falls apart. You can try and grasp for years with reason and logic the, the Holy Trinity. And while it does, it does not violate reason and logic, it eludes explanation. It eludes our full comprehension of it. And that's a good thing. We wouldn't want a God who fits into our little box. That, that's not God. That's an invention of our own, of our own minds. And so it's good that, that God is beyond our full comprehension. But sometimes that can be frustrating, that, that God is just so beyond us. See, C.S. Lewis once wrote that every explanation of the Trinity beyond that of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fails us. And so in the end, we're best to let God describe himself, to use his self-revelation of Father, Son, and Spirit to fill our understanding of him. At some point, we have to just accept his word because he's going to be the one who's best at describing himself, at discussing himself. The problem is that we always want the final answer. We want to have a better understanding. We have unanswered questions, and we don't like that. So why do we believe in the Trinity if it's such a challenging, difficult doctrine? If it doesn't always make sense, if we can't always fully grasp it, why do we believe in the Trinity? Well, because it's what Scripture has revealed. It's what experience has revealed about God to be true. See, when you look through Scriptures, you can find the doctrine of the Holy Trinity throughout. We see it from the very beginning to the very end. Even in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we see the Trinity. You see God the Father from the very beginning. You see the Son, the Word that is spoken, that brings things into existence, and you see the Spirit hovering over the waters. And then later in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Again, pointing to the Holy Trinity. And then in Genesis 18, as the visitors come to visit Abraham, that's always been understood as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealing themselves to Abraham back in those days. And then in today's reading from Isaiah chapter 6, we see the angels proclaiming out the trifold holies, holy, 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 to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God asks, who will go for us? Who will we send? And then later in Isaiah... As we get to the end and, and, God, and Isaiah begins to proclaim about God's message of deliverance, how God is going to set his people free and, and bear his, his holy arm in the strength to deliver his people. And then immediately after that, 
we hear the discussion of, of the suffering servant described in the same way, acting as God himself, pointing us forward to Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the suffering servant who would bear his arm for our salvation. It's there in the Old Testament. See, even just last week, we heard Peter proclaim on Pentecost the message from Joel that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. And last week in Ezekiel 37, the Spirit would breathe life again into those dry bones that they would stand again and be a vast army, God's people restored. See, throughout the whole Old Testament, the Trinity is there again and again. But it's only in light of Jesus Christ, in the light of his revelation, that we can look back and see it on every page and in every chapter. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in scriptures, in those words. But then there's a problem. Because, see, in scripture, the most famous, the most important Jewish passage, the great Shema, the passage that even Jesus himself quotes. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. One God. So how do we have a trinity? How do we believe in a trinity? How is it that, that on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter, a devout Jew who would have recited this verse each and every day, known it by heart because it's the most important Jewish verse. We are a, a monotheistic people. How is Peter then standing in the temple and in the city streets proclaiming God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, it's because it's the only thing that could explain what he had been through, what he had seen, what he had heard. It's the only thing that made sense of his experience. And so Peter goes out and he says that this God, the God of Judaism, who is indeed one God, has been revealed in Jesus Christ as triune, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, Peter and all the apostles began to proclaim and teach this truth because after being with Jesus for three years, after listening to him, after walking with him, after seeing all that he had done, this was the only thing that made sense of what they had seen and what they had heard. And as God's people... We experience that. We see that in the Gospels. Their accounts and their testimony of what they saw and what they heard Jesus do. Because you see, in the Gospels, Jesus does things that only God can do. Only God can say. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus reinterprets the law. Jesus says all kinds of, makes all kinds of bold claims about himself. In John 5, Jesus says that he only does what he sees the Father doing. In John 12, Jesus says he only speaks what he hears the Father saying. In John 10, Jesus makes the bold proclamation that he and the Father are one. That they are one. And then Jesus backs up everything that he says. All those bold claims that he makes in word and deed. He backs them up with miracles by raising the dead, by healing the blind, by feeding the 5,000, by walking on the waters. Jesus backs up his authority to prove that he is the one who has this power, this ability. And he does all those miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of God the Father. And so the disciples look and they see this is all that they can explain. The only way they can make sense of this is if Jesus is truly God, the Holy Spirit is truly God, and Father is truly God. 
See, Jesus makes incredible claims about himself. See, there have been many great teachers, teachers who, who many people have followed throughout history, people like the Prophet Muhammad, or the Buddha, or Plato, who have said, I, I know the way. I, I can point you to God. I, I know the truth. That's not what Jesus claimed. Jesus made the bold claim, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said these bold claims. And people didn't think he was insane. They didn't think he was crazy. They heard him. They saw his life. And they believed him. They believed that he truly was the way, truly is the truth. He is the only place where eternal life is found, the only way we can get to the Father. See, many other people throughout history have claimed to be God. They frequently led cults. They were here for a time. Maybe they gathered a small following, and they died, and that following went away. It didn't last. Jesus made this claim, and over 2,000 years, billions of people have followed him, have believed these claims to be true, have been willing to lay down their lives for this statement. Even those, the apostles, who had known Jesus during his earthly life, were willing to lay down their lives, all of them, except John was martyred for their faith in Jesus and his claim to be God. See, they were willing to lay that down because even though they believed that the Jewish God was one, one God, they believed that that God had been revealed in Jesus Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And nothing could deter them from that confession and that truth. In Acts chapter 2, today Peter said, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him." All that happened to Jesus happened according to God's plan and foreknowledge. Exactly as it was meant to happen. See, the reason that the disciples believe in Jesus is because every time Jesus declares something, every time he says something will happen, it takes place just as he said. See, we as God's people, we believe that Jesus is Lord because everything that he said happened just as he said it would. Think about the end of Mark's gospel. We read it on Easter Sunday. And this is what it says, starting at verse 6. Do not be alarmed. Sorry. Yeah, do not be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, tells the disciples that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified and killed. And it happened. Jesus told them that he would be in the grave for three days, and it happened. Jesus told them that he would rise from the dead on the third day, and it happened. Jesus told them that they would see him in Galilee, and they saw him. Just as he had said, it happened. And so the only conclusion they can make is that Jesus truly is one with God the Father. See, at the end 
of Matthew and Luke at the end of their gospel as the trial of Jesus is taking place. The religious leaders crucify Jesus because of his claims to be one with God. You see, in the trial, they ask, are you the son of God? Tell us plainly. And Jesus said, you are right in saying that I am, that I am one with the Father. And they reject him, and they kill him, and they think they've been rid of this, this liar, this one who claims to be one with God but is not. But then, but then, after three days, Jesus rose from the dead. See, the resurrection is the vindication of Jesus. It validates his message that all that he said was indeed true. That everything that he claimed about himself was indeed true. That he is one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That all that he has claimed about himself has been revealed and vindicated in his resurrection. See, the the apostles, they came to believe that the Jewish God has been revealed in Jesus Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet is one God. And we as God's people, we believe this truth because it's the only thing that can explain what has happened. It's the thing that we've experienced in word and in sacrament, through the Gospels, through the word handed down and proclaimed. It's the only thing that makes sense of all that has come to be. You see, from the very beginning, God the Father's plan was always to send the Son for the redemption of the world. And the Son willingly came because God loves us. He sings over us. He rejoices over us. And the Holy Spirit from the beginning has always worked through, in and through people to reveal and to glorify God the Father and God the Son. And so we as God's people, we believe in the Trinity even though it may defy explanation, even though it may be beyond us to fully comprehend Because we have experienced God's love and God's grace in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, this is something that can only be truly grasped and understood by faith and through experience here in God's church in these sacraments. Amen.